from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This is Guy Lamolinar at the Library of Congress. Late September will mark the 12th year that book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will be two days this year, Saturday, September 22nd, and Sunday, September 23rd, 2012. The festival will take place between 9th and 14th Streets on the National Mall, Rain or Shine. Hours are from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Saturday the 22nd and from noon to 5.30 p.m. on Sunday the 23rd. For more details, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. And now it is my pleasure to introduce the internationally known and loved writer Patricia Cornwell, whose latest book is titled Red Mist. Her forthcoming novel is titled The Bone Bed. Patricia Cornwell has created so many memorable characters, including, of course, Dr. Kay Scarpetta, who is one of the most enduring in all of fiction. More than 100 million copies of Patricia Cornwell's books have sold worldwide, and her work has influenced many of the shows we see on television today, as well as in the movies. Patricia Cornwell, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. This is great. Thank you. Red Mist is your 19th novel featuring medical examiner Dr. K. Scarpetta. What would you say are some of the characteristics about her that you most admire? Well, I think what I most admire about Dr. Scarpetta is that she, there's one thing she never does, which is she never abuses power. And I believe that the root of all that's wrong in the world is the abuse of power. And I've watched Scarpetta through the series in, in any number of situations and whether it's the way she deals with her secretary or what she does if her own life is at mm -hmm. stake, she just doesn't cross a certain line that she shouldn't cross, which is to use power above and beyond what is necessary to get a certain job done. And I just think that that's an, an incredibly important facet, because if, if all of us would take that to heart, especially in this year of the great you know, presidential uh, election, mm -hmm. we're all thinking about politics and power and, and world powers. And I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind. True. Is there anything about her you don't like? Anything about her I don't like? Um, she, you know, I, this is awful. I should have something about her I don't like. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> no, I really don't. I'd like pretty much everything about uh -huh. her. I mean, there's things that she does that I wouldn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Like, she is much more stoical <laughs> about quite a number of things mm -hmm. um, that, particularly when you're dealing with the most horrific types of deaths and, de you know, when there's decomposition and really mm -hmm. the grotesque factor that, thankfully, my readers might read about, but they don't have to experience the way I do when I go out there and do the research. So she does a lot of things that aren't necessarily um, my favorite. But, but overall, I enjoy her, and I don't, I don't find her irritating or um, tedious. I think that, uh, that I admire much more about her than I would ever probably quibble with, and, and some of these things people might think are my attributes, but that's really not quite the case. I think a lot. I think she's a bit of a fantasy version of what I'd like to be. She's incredibly tenacious. She's amazingly courageous. Um, I, you know, I often say to myself, if I have to go do something very difficult, I say, you know what? Why don't, why don't you just go send Scarpetta instead? <laughs> and that that helps give me a mindset of get into that frame of mind, so maybe you'll think mm -hmm. a little more clearly about this before you go out and do it. Okay. How would you say she's grown over the years? 
Well, she's grown a lot, and the biggest difference between the Scarpetta of today and the one that she would have met in 1990 um, is that I think she's much more reflective. We've seen a lot of tremendous changes in this world in the last 22 years. In fact, it's almost incomprehensible uh, where we are now as, as to where we were compared to where we were back then. I mean, when I wrote Postmortem, they were just getting DNA to, to basically pass the Fry standard so it could be admissible in court, which is just bizarre to think about today. Mm-hmm. That's how much things have changed since my very first book. And, of course, we also live in the post-9-11 world where, you know, now our biggest fear, I think, is what I call domestic terrorism, um, not just international terrorism, but some of the things that we saw, like recently in Colorado, when people go into a confined space where everybody should feel safe and they they Mm -hmm. should commit mass murder. And these sorts of fears were not foremost on the minds of of people when I was writing the Scarpetta novels in the 90s, and and the bigger fear was the proverbial serial killer. Unfortunately, we still have plenty of those around as well. So she has grown tremendously in a world that has dramatically changed, uh, in a world where there's now Twitter and Facebook and and even email, which did not really exist when I first started Mm -hmm. these books. And I think she doesn't think just so much about about the how of a, of a crime. What does this fiber mean? What does this fleck of paint mean? What does this biological fluid mean? She's also very thoughtful about the why. Who are we as people? Why mm-hmm. do we do these things? Um, what, what is the meaning of life and time as it passes and what happens after we die? I think she's a much deeper person now. Okay. One of your first jobs was as a crime reporter at the Charlotte Observer. Was that a position you pursued because you had an interest in the subject of crime, or did your interest develop after you took the position? No, that's that's a real irony. I did not want to do the crime beat. When I started with the Charlotte Observer, I had this fanciful uh, dream that I was going to be a novelist and write beautiful works of fiction, you know, literature. Mm-hmm. And I wrote poetry back in those days, and I liked to draw and do things like that. So... When I first interviewed at the Charlotte Observer, I, I said I wanted to be a features writer. And they took me up to the features department, and I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to get my wish. But no, what it really was is they were going to let me update the television magazine, which certainly wasn't what I had in mind. <laughs> and I started doing a lot of general assignment things, just anything anybody would let me write. And then one day they said, we have a really great news for you we are assigning you to the police beat. And I was absolutely devastated. I didn't want to write about crime. I didn't want to run around from 4 o'clock till midnight every night. But once I got into it, I was absolutely snake bit by it. I don't know what it was. I'm still not really sure. I have my ideas about it. But it really was the right fit. I, I belong in an investigative environment. That's where I seem to really come alive, when I can figure things out and describe them in a way that's unusual. Mm-hmm. Well, it's lucky for all your readers that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> you've written some of your novels in the first person from the point of Dr. Scarpetta, and you've also written them in the third person omniscient narrator. How do you decide what person to write in, and how does it affect what you write? Well, you know, I tried the third person for a while because I thought it was a good a good step for me as a writer, a good growing experience, because if you're getting into the perspectives of other characters, that, 
that causes the stage to become much bigger and much more dimensional. But I, I shouldn't say never, but having done that for a while and, and moving back to the first-person point of view in the Scarpetta series, it's not, it's not real likely I will shift back away from mm-hmm. that with her. And I think the biggest reason, I, I had no idea about this, but I do listen to what my fans say. And most of my fans were extremely unhappy when I departed from the first-person mm-hmm. point of view. In fact, some of them were, I think, angry even. And I, it's, and some of them have explained it. I, they say things on Twitter and Facebook that are really quite, uh, really rather profound. One is when they are in her shoes, they feel they are the smart ones solving these cases. Mm-hmm. It gives them the wonderful experience of being able to be a character like that, which is something I honestly hadn't really thought about it when uh, in the earlier days. And I think a, a more subtle reason, but equally powerful one, is the world that I write about is an, is an intensely frightening one. And, and if you're if you are with her, mm-hmm. it's it, it's safe. Right. But if you suddenly are not in the same room with her and you're watching what a killer is doing, it doesn't feel safe anymore. And the books suddenly become, I think, more terrifying than I really intended mm-hmm. them to be. So I think that for lots of reasons, we'll just we'll we'll just keep. I kind of hold on to the back of her lab coat and let her lead the way. Okay. Will you ever retire Dr. Scarpetta, do you think? No, I think I'm more worried about her retiring me. (laughs) I don't have any plans for retiring her. As long as it continues to interest me and interest readers, then I will continue to explore all sorts of different avenues of life with her Mm -hmm. in, in subsequent books. So I don't have any plans for that at all. But it's it's hard to know down the road. I think what would be a more likely scenario is if at some point, God forbid, I just decided I wasn't I just wasn't doing it very well anymore, and it was maybe it was best to to leave it alone. But we'll hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Okay, good. If I might change the subject a little bit, I wanted to talk about uh, your research on Jack the Ripper. I was wondering how you became interested in that. Well, that's a very strange story and a complete accident. I happened to be in London in early 2000, I believe it's early 2000, and somebody hooked me up with an investigator at Scotland Yard and got me a tour over there when I really was totally overwhelmed by other things I was supposed to be doing, but it would have been very ungracious for me to say no, so I went. And this investigator with Scotland Yard started talking about the Jack the Ripper case because he knows a lot about it. I'd never even read anything about Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. and this will shock you, but I had no interest in Jack the Ripper. Oh. I was interested in things going on today and not so much back then. But as we got into it, and he drove me around to the what was you know left of where the crime scenes had been back in the 1800s, I said, who are the suspects and why? And he, he told me a bunch of names, and I said, but based on what? He said, based on nothing. These are just based on theories. I said, well... Is there any evidence at all left over from these cases? So the only evidence are the letters purportedly from Jack the Ripper, hundreds of them written to the media and the police back then. I said, well, you can get a lot of evidence off of letters. And so, and nobody had ever ex- examined them scientifically. So I got permission to go into the National Archives and into the, and they brought these letters out of the vault. And I began to get experts to look at them with me and plus, I'd been given a, the same investigator had said, you really should look into this artist, Walter Sickert, from back then, because he did a lot of murder paintings, mm-hmm. and his name has come up before in this case. And that got me on the trail, and one thing led to another, and next thing I know, I was involved in a full, a full investigation 
um, that became absolutely all-consuming. And so that's, and I still am convinced that the, what I've represented in that nonfiction work is accurate, and I still think that Walter Sickert was Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll be writing anything more about the Jack the Ripper case? Well, I, I do. When I, I'm just actually starting, you know, my 21st Scarpetta, the one that follows the bone bed that will be out in October. And when I get done with that, I'm hoping to find a little time to do the third revision on the Jack the Ripper book. I have a few, it's a few polishes and a few things to add, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because it's, it really is the most interesting case. It's, I, I can't. It's, it's addictive. In fact, you have to stay away from it because you can't stop thinking <laughs> I, about I it. I can easily see that. I just have one more question. Could you give us a little sneak peek into your forthcoming novel, The Bone Bed? Well, The Bone Bed is very unusual in that it actually brings together the world of the prehistoric with the ultra-modern technology that you expect with Scarpetta. And it opens with it. she's minding her own business in her office when she gets a very strange email that seems to be related to a paleontologist, a woman who's vanished from a dinosaur dig site in Alberta, Canada. And this email gives Scarpetta the very bad feeling that whatever's happened to this lady is something she's about to find out about. So, um, And then next thing you know, she's out on a boat in the Boston Harbor uh, because something very unfortunate has been entangled with a very huge um, sea turtle. And all of this becomes interconnected, and it's a, it's a really, it's quite a romp that she's on. It's very dramatic, it's very scary, and it's, I think it's going to, I think people are going to find it an um, extremely exciting book. Oh, it sounds you really exciting. A, <laughs> she's also, um, she. She also ends up, you, you get a real courtroom scene with her, which we don't get to see very often, where all of this lands her in front of a judge in a trial, and you get to see her put through her paces when she's got a really shrewd defense attorney going after her. So it's, uh, the bone bed is a lot of fun. It's extremely unusual. I think it's, I think it's one of the best books I've ever done, and I can't wait for people to read it. And I think, and especially you're going to like it if they've read Red Mist first. Right. Okay. Thank you. We've been hearing from author Patricia Cornwell, who will appear on Saturday, September 22nd in the Fiction and Mystery Pavilion at the National Book Festival on the National Mall. Patricia Cornwell, thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.